Hey, welcome back to the Ocean Lovers Podcast. Kirsty here. This is episode five. I'm here with Erica. Hello. And we have an awesome guest today. We have Rich. Yes, we have Rich Dolan joining us today as a guest on our podcast. Yay! And this is somebody so that I, Yeah, hey Rich. So Hi. this is somebody that I've been a really big fan of for a while. And I'm actually like, I, I'm really excited to talk to you, Rich, because I have been following your Instagram page, which is, which is Tales of Stellwagon. And I would love mm. to know at some point where that name came from and what that means to you. But um, but yeah, you are so talented and wow, I'm really excited to hear all about you. So yeah, we're going to kind of give you the mic on this yes. one. Oh, and... wait, before we get started. Yes. Okay, yes. So I had talked to Erica about this a little bit ago mm-hmm. and it's your lucky day because we're actually going to try something new with our guests. Ooh, I right. know. And we're testing it on you. So let's see how it goes. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. So... <laughs> Um, okay, so we wanted to try, um, I kind of came up with this idea of doing like an icebreaker for people that mm-hmm. come on our podcast, and I thought it'd be really fun because we're kind of, we're just goofy. So I thought this would be really fun, and then hopefully our listeners like this as well. Um, but this is going to be kind of a little bit of an icebreaker. So basically what I did is I put five questions um, in front of me, and you're just going to try to answer them as fast as you can, like. And it's just five questions, and that's it. Wow, this is it's dangerous. Be, Let's yeah, do it. So it's like a rapid fire round. <laughs> yes, yes. Ooh. So to find out of... the find out the true me. Exactly. Yeah. So right off the bat, we kind of know something <laughs> off the bat, and then we'll go more into it later. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's so do it. All like right. Five seconds Let's or less it. to answer these questions. <laughs> oh <boy. laughs> yeah. Hit me. No, not too much thinking to it. All right. Are you ready? Yes, I hate thinking. Let's do it. Okay. Perfect. All right. First question. What is your favorite marine animal? Narwhal. Yes. Ooh. Favorite place you've traveled to? Um, Roatan, Honduras. Oh, oh that's nice. What animal or any type of marine life has piqued your interest and would want to learn more about it? Um, non-marine creature, the blue bowerbird, because oh. they they make assemblages that are aesthetically similar to how human artists think mm-hmm. oh wow okay you'll have to talk about that more later yeah. um favorite food oh my god i've been eating a lot of pizza and i actually really enjoy <laughs> um what the uh, ocean lovers title because it makes me think of pizza like a meat lovers pizza oh. but it's ocean lovers <laughs> and it's like I have, I have a I have a bit of OCD, so I keep thinking, like, oh, my God, what would be on an Ocean Lover's pizza? <laughs> oh, I don't oh, even want to know. It, yeah, I know, right? They the Branks. have one of those somewhere. Yeah, Nuda Branks oh and Christmas tree worms. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. All right, and last question. What marine animal do you think would best describe your personality and why? Oh, boy. Um... I would have to say that would be the um, the orca. I think orcas. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Um, yeah, be, they are be, really cool. Yeah, because they have like a, some arguably compared to other marine life simplistic patterns. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, well, when the moment is right, they can be very quiet. Like with our transients mm-hmm. up around Salo Sea, like they just cruise yeah. around like and you can listen for them and not know they're there. And then when they have themselves a good time and they succeed in the hunts, they, they get really rowdy. And, they throw um, a tea party. Yeah. They also like to throw seals like 80 feet into the air. So I feel yep. like I can really, I can relate to that. <laughs> you throw yeah. seals for a, for a living. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I do the, um, what is it in the summer Olympics? It's not the shot put. Where is yeah, it? It is, when you, it is. Yeah. Shot, yeah, the it shot, shot put. put. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I, I, I was, visual. Yeah, I always thought that was a really cool, like, obscure sport, but I can never get into it because I just don't have, like, the the upper body strength. <laughs> yeah, that's why you turn to carpentry. Not that you don't need upper body strength for that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. Or orcas, they got small flippers, but bigger tails. So it's all about yeah. the quads. You know? Yeah, that's true. That's yep. true. That's true. Awesome. Well, yeah, right. yay. Those are, those are I passed. Well, so now we feel like you we did. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Good job. <laughs> so if you would
would like to go ahead and start your story. You can start all the way at the beginning if you'd like and kind of uh, guide us through where you're at right now and what you're up to. Yeah. Right. Um, I think it was start after the, um, the big asteroid 65 million years mm, ago. That's a good place to start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> there were mammals. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so I am a mammal and I was a naturalist for the New England Aquarium in Boston, Massachusetts from 2014 until 2019. So, yeah, it was a pretty cool, cool area. Um, The Whale Watch would head out to Stowagen Bank National Marine Protected Sanctuary. Um, Before I go further into it, I'm dyslexic and I like to mix up dates. But the sanctuary, um, it was established in 1992, which I'm sure is right, uh, December 4th, 1992. And that is a feeding habitat for humpback whales of the West Indies. So. Yeah, the, these are humpback whales that travel up from the Dominican Republic, and they feed um, offshore about like 30 nautical miles out. But early spring, you can find them um, right next to Provincetown on the uh, Cape Cod Peninsula. Oh, so, okay. yeah, it's pretty rad. 30, 30 miles out is pretty dang far for a whale watch. Yeah. Need to get to. Oh, yeah. And we would have days where we would have to head like 40 miles out. And um, because I don't work with them anymore, um, the captains can't do anything to me. Um, some days we'd have 50 miles out, which is a oh, couple wow. miles too far. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> How long were your trips? <laughs> they would average um, maybe three to four hours. But oh, wow. if, if we had to, yeah, we don't mess around. Um, some trips <laughs> would run closer to five if it was mm-hmm. like. A sunset trip they would usually do four to five hours wow okay yeah so it's a feeding ground so you, you see a lot of open mouth feeding and um you see cultural transmission where the mothers will bring their calves and um teach them um how to feed so you can watch throughout the season the calves Aww. switch from nursing oh, to cool. lunging and uh, bubble blowing so yes oh that's really mm. cool <laughs> And so did, they don't actually. have to do the bubble net feeding there, do they? You know what? Um, when I started in 2014 through 2015, we saw a lot of bubble net feeding. Mm. And it would usually um, occur during the spring from like April and May. Okay. And then it would repeat itself in October and November. But those first yeah. two years, we would see it occasionally in June and July. And okay. And I last three seasons out there, they switched from bubble net feeding primarily to like mm-hmm. bubble clouds that would be cast by individuals. And um, I, I believe wow. there was um, NOAA, the, um, NOAA, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. Everyone listening knows who they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, N0AAR, NOAA. Um, so. They would send um, scientists out there with these um, visual tags that had GoPros and Ooh. affixed with suction cups. They could attach these GoPros to humpbacks who would swim down to the sea floor of Stowagen Bank. And over there, it's quite shallow. It's an old yeah. moraine, an old um, bank carved out by the Laurentide Ice Sheet Glacier. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, like 15,000 years ago. So oh, wow. it's shallow out there. It's, it's only, um, it's only in some spots, a hundred feet oh. deep or 33 meters. Um, yeah, so, so for people who don't know, a humpback whale can grow to be about 50 feet, 55 feet long. So it's only like two whale lengths deep. Yeah. So if you were to take a blue whale against his or her whale and, um, position them vertically their rostrums or the snouts mm-hmm. in some areas would like just peek out of the uh out of the ocean with their that's tails cool. touching the seafloor that's really cool huh. yeah so with these underwater cameras they discovered instead of bubble net feeding the humpback whales will swim down and they favor the right side of their heads they'll take their oh. heads and They'll twist them through the bottom sediments like a plow or a shovel. So oh this is, okay. yeah, 
this oh, is turning how up. How recent was this? Um, they have been taking this footage for the last few years, and they are currently publishing, so I won't go too in-depth about it. Yeah. Um, okay. That's but, really neat. I've, yeah. I haven't heard of that. So what were they doing by stirring up the sediment? Because that's the same way that gray whales feed. Yeah, so it's it's kind of cool to see these parallels between species, but unlike the um, the gray whales that are capable of um, filtering in mud and other mm. detritus, the humpbacks, what they're doing is they're using the heads to push through the sand, and it chases out a species of fish called the sand atlants or the sand oh, eel. Yeah. So, yeah, once they um, unburrow themselves from the sand, the humpbacks open their mouths and it creates this vacuum that sucks them in and then they filter the fish from the water. And um, what they did discover in the last couple of years is that a humpback whale will uh, bottom side feed, or I like to think of this barrel rolling. They'll do these lunges a few times before coming up for air so they can do these they can do multiple um multiple digs i guess huh yeah wow wow that's so, it's so cool. interesting that just seeing the different feeding techniques or hearing mm-hmm. about them that i think that's so intriguing to me that in different parts of the world they they feed differently it's really it's, it and they're still really learning cool. more about it that's really cool yeah, yeah like i don't know richard if you um have you heard of humpback whales doing trap feeding you know what um i first heard about it in 2017 and i think it was it was seen by um younger humpback whales up off of new brunswick i think oh. where um yeah where they would find these um shoals of juvenile herring and we might be talking talking about the same thing where they'll take their flippers and then move yeah. their flippers linearly with the surface and then the fish jump out into the mouth so they have a gape and then yeah. they'll snap their mouth shut. Pretty much, yeah. So they just like lay at this, well, like vertically at the surface with their mouths open and use their flippers to almost shovel fish into their mouth. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, yeah, I presume you know about it, but just for our uh, listeners listening. Yeah. 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 And so, really yeah. Cool. The the first time that I ever heard about it, and I think it actually could have been one of the first recorded cases of it being witnessed, was when I was doing research up at Cetacea Lab up in Canada, up in British Columbia. They saw it a few times, and it had never been published or anything, so it was just kind of observational at that point. But now it's like becoming a well-known feeding strategy for these. Really? Because I've never heard of it. Yeah, it's it's being seen more and more. Yeah, and um, the the part that kind of it, it's spooky to see this like um, convergence of behavior between entirely different whale populations, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. even between like different species. Um, mm-hmm. There are these river deltas in the northern Indian Ocean, and the Brutus whales will also engage in a different kind of trap feeding, where they'll find themselves in maybe like forty-five feet of seawater they orient themselves vertically and then they'll move their tails through the sediments below and that stirs oh, the fish upward yeah. where there is um where there's less silt kicked up and the brutus whales will hold their mouths open in the same manner and they'll snap them shut just the same so wow yeah it's cr- crazy that's so cool yeah so okay so if you worked at the new england aquarium till 2019 what are you up to now? And what, when did, I'm wondering, when did you start creating the whale heads that we use for educational oh, yeah. stuff? Those are amazing. Those are oh, so thanks. beautiful. Yes. Yeah. So I, I went a bit AWOL. Um, I had a very good run with the New England Aquarium. Um, they partnered with Boston Harbor Cruises, who are the, um, who are the fleet, actually the largest privately owned fleet in the country. Um, oh, wow. So, they ran How a many good boats trip. Do they have? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh boy, numbers. Um, last <laughs> I heard, it was either 65 Holy or 56. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And they just partnered with folks out of, I think, Chicago. So the fleet's even bigger now. Wow. Cool. Yeah. But they, out of all those boats, they just had four boats that were 
splitting their time between shadows and whale watching. Wow. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, le- I left it all behind because um, before I got into marine biologist, I was an artist. I got my BFA in painting. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was opportunistic that I got involved in the aquarium. Um, oh. And I was, yeah, I actually started at the aquarium um, researching lobsters. Oh. Yeah. So I went. Yeah, I went from small to big as quick as I could uh, to whales. <laughs> yeah, and um, my my neighbor um, was someone working with coral. I'm I'm not sure what she was doing with coral, but it was something sciency. Um, <laughs> yeah, te- yeah, Tasia Blau. Uh, Tasia is one of my good friends, and she actually um, coerced me into being an intern with the Whale Watch, and then I just. I want to. I want to go away after a season, so they decided to start throwing money at me, and uh, <laughs> yeah, then I became a naturalist. That. That's really. Oh, cool. that's really cool. So what are like, some? Yeah. What are some um, random lobster, lobster facts you can throw at us? <laughs> oh, I might be rusty, but I'll have a go at it. So <laughs> I'm sure it's more than what I know. So yeah. So um, the the tissues of the lobster that make up the carapace come in three layers, and the reason that lobsters are perceived to be brown is because you have a layer that is blue another that is red and ugh, i think the other layer is like a or an orange it's orange i think okay. well it's, it's three colors i don't remember <laughs> um so what we were doing is we were studying shell disease or shell rots, which mm-hmm. is something that has been occurring in the north atlantic lobster population mm-hmm. and um it's a dangerous um, disease for old lobsters because they only moat one to two times a year. Mm-hmm. So the shellers start rotting. And if they don't um, moat early enough, then it will start degrading their organs and their inner oh, tissues. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what we were doing is we were adjusting the diets of lobsters that were raised from eggs of wild caught. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, mothers and the the lobster comes in several stages i think stage five stage five is the cool one it's called the <laughs> superman stage Ooh. oh that is the only time in a an american lobster's life that it can swim forward oh otherwise they swim backwards yes oh. i had no idea <laughs> that cool yeah. and they they outstretch their their claws so it looks like they're from like a, um, a DC comic. Oh, yeah. That's, wow. Yeah, so they're, they're pretty weird. Those color layers that you were speaking of. So I'm sure you've probably seen, maybe in real life, maybe just a photograph of those ne- like neon blue colored lobsters. They're I was hoping, rare. yeah, I was hoping we would get to that. Um, yeah. So is that something to do with the color layers that you mentioned? So those are genetic mutations that do occur in the wild, but they are quite rare. Mm. Um, to be blue, it's a one in ten million chance. Um, yes. I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've seen to one be too. My university. I went to university in Maine, and they had a bright blue lobster. Yeah, they're pretty great. Um, cool. So we could we could create that in the lab. Oh wow! Oh. And it wasn't permanent. It's you can change a lobster's color based on the diet that you feed them. Oh, so I know what What in the world. So I did not think I was gonna learn about lobsters today, but here we are. I know, surprise! I'm stuck on an island out here in Washington. I I need things to think about. So Yeah. yeah. So what we would do is we would adapt the diet. We would just take out um. We want to actually take out nutrients. We would just feed them specific food that was lacking. And um, because their shell makes up three layers, if they were getting a diet that contributed to, let's say, the blue layer, but not mm-hmm. the other two layers, then it would only be blue that would show up. Oh, so, okay, I see. Each, yeah, each layer of the shell is somewhat translucent. So, um, it, yeah, if you... If you feed a lobster bone meal, then they have no pigments, and that's when they 
become transparent. So they appear to have albinism. Oh, wow. Interesting. It's blown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what, so in the wild, when you, when they are bright blue, is it because of their diet in that case? Or is that just how they are? Like a rare thing. It appears to be just a genetic malformity where they're eating what all of their lobster friends are eating, but for whatever reason, their shells can't absorb what has been absorbed by their um, by their neighbors. Interesting. Yeah. So what are common things that um, different lobsters can eat like that would go with their colors to make that? Oh, that's that's where we're going to get a little dicey with my memory here. Um, <laughs> So what would we, we would feed them in the lab would vary between bone meal. Um, and then just a, another like pre-made diets that contained all of the nutrients. Mm. So that's when they would have the typical brown plumage, I'll call it because okay. it's a good word. Um, and, <laughs> and then, um, um, sea monkeys, sea monkeys oh. were, were the third diet. I can't oh. remember um, I think they were a type of brine shrimp that yeah. you find in the Arctic. Yeah. I remember when I was little that they used to sell those. <laughs> and you can grow your little, your own sea monkeys. Have you, did you guys ever have that? Yes. I have a story about that. Actually, I did have sea oh monkeys my. growing up and I loved them. I was obsessed with them because yeah. I, when I was probably like 11 or something. Mm-hmm. And my brother knocked over my sea monkey tank <gasps> and spilled them on my carpet no and i cried (laughs) oh Oh, were you were you a 90s child and like you just had a wall-to-wall carpet oh absolutely (laughs) and it was shag carpet i'm not even lying oh Oh, no yeah (laughs) see yeah you couldn't like you couldn't take the carpet outside to like beat the sea monkeys out of it yet oh that's rough Oh gosh. Yeah, I totally forgot about the story. whole sea monkey thing. That's funny. I actually think about sea monkeys quite often because of the fact that we oh. do these we do <laughs> plankton toes on a science cruise that I work on. We did one this morning. And when we pull up oh. the, the plankton and there's a ton of copepods and all kinds of other stuff in there, it looks like little sea mm-hmm. monkeys. Oh. oh. How about that? Yeah. I can't imagine like just being on the subway making my way through um i'm not sure if you have the subway there um but let's say that you do just like being on the subway like and like just seeing this woman on the train and you're like oh i I wonder what she's like listening to and you're just like listening to a podcast about sea monkeys (laughs) oh my gosh exactly (laughs) i always wonder what these people are doing when they're listening (laughs) right oh well today they're learning about lobsters so monkeys yeah so so if you for those of you that are listening if you had (laughs) your own sea monkeys definitely let us know on our last instagram uh, (laughs) post let us know if you had sea monkeys in your house that's so funny well so this this episode is going to be about sea monkeys (laughs) i guess yep apparently (laughs) that's so funny um well, okay, so tell us more about the whale heads. Where did this idea come yes. from and how did you turn it into a business? Uh, uh, you got me so like hopped up about mutant lobsters. Um, <laughs> He's it, like, I want to talk about it more now. You yeah, said, um, yeah. At, the end of the, at the end of the podcast, if anyone's listening, hit me up because like the lobster facts I have are, um, are infinite and some of them are nightmarish, but maybe we oh. can get into those later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, we'll talk. You we'll talk about the whale heads and yes, like your, let's your art do that. and stuff, and then you know what? We'll just go back to the lobsters. Sounds good. Okay. So whales, yeah, yes. I'm here. I'm here for whales. Um, <laughs> so I'm an artist. I mentioned before, mm-hmm. and I have a showcase marketplace a body of work called Tales of Stowagon. Mm-hmm. That's and how I found you. Yeah. Yes, and. Um, it's it gets its name because of Henry Stowagen, who was the first um, nautical fella to correctly map Stowagen Bank. Oh. It's an undersea plateau that's shaped like a kidney bean, but originally it was okay. thought to be two separate plateaus. Um, so wow. I, na- I, I named my showcase in his memory because that's where I spent a, a lot of my 20s. And... Oh. Um, but the tales is spelled like a whale's tale because when I first started making maritime art, 
I was illustrating the tail patterns of the humpback whale. Mm-hmm. And That's in our awesome. area, yeah, we, we have a site fidelity of between 900 to 1500 individuals, oh, meaning wow. that the, the same exact humpback whales return to Stoagon Bank and the surrounding Gulf of Maine habitat year mm. after year. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah, and we know this because their tail patterns typically naturally don't change in adulthood. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yep. yeah. So I've illustrated over a hundred of those fellas and fellettes. And mm-hmm. um, a- after just spending all that time on these small illustrations, I, I wanted to go big and I wanted mm-hmm. the arts, I wanted the art to enhance and be relevant to the whale watching experience. Yeah. So, Yeah. Um, I was just carrying around these um, these iPad computers with pictures of my illustrations. And um, something that we have a lot of in Boston is we have a lot of tourists. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of tourists do not speak English as a first or a second language. And, you know, to be honest, when I go overseas, I don't really speak a second language. And Right. Yeah. Yeah. So... In my education, I would try to reach out to folks to talk about behaviors like filter feeding, which is impossible to explain to anyone who speaks any <laughs> yeah. language. I completely yeah. understand that. I work with a lot of tourists as well. And I I have been like today I was thinking, oh, man, I wish I spoke sign language so I could talk about oh. this in sign language. Yeah. I'm so, yeah, anyone who has been a naturalist for like a season with an ecotourism company knows that like not everyone is going to connect with you because of barriers, Mm -hmm. like be they language or sensory. Like I've had a few blind passengers Mm -hmm. and I don't want them to um, be lacking an experience. So what I thought is what if I take the most difficult subjects to have a conversation about and make it accessible to all parties and um yeah because i just love to make my i love to make my life hard for myself um so i quickly yeah so i realized that um visual illustration is not universal so um when i went to art school i actually failed my first and only sculpture class but i decided you know what it's it's been a decade let's give it another go so what I've done is I've started creating sculptures of whale heads. These sculptures are about 20 inches wide, um, like eight inches tall, and they're articulated. So the head of a humpback whale, uh, the mouth can open and close. And mm-hmm. on one side is the exterior, you know, just your typical black head with the eye and the hair follicles, the tubercles and the barnacles. But then on the other side, I've created almost like a cross section in the interior. So hmm. I've like painted all the um, all the nerve endings and the baleen. I've actually created that separately as a sculpture. So the baleen is its own entity. And um, right. I've even gone to the lengths of um, carving out certain organs like the CCM that the corpus cavernosum maxillaris that sits at the roof of the mouth that um weird pink organ that people mm-hmm. think is a tongue mm-hmm. yeah it looks like the tongue yeah <laughs> yeah and wow, my first years are i've i've lied to many people in my life uh, objectively and accidentally um but as a naturalist i did it more so because my first year i didn't know what that organ was so i thought it was the tongue <laughs> <laughs> that's funny a lot of people do but it would be they yeah. would have to like hold that thing up if it was the tongue uh-huh. <laughs> I know, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so for conversing about filter feeding, once they started bringing the sculptures on the boats, that look of complete loss and confusion was um, was replaced by this look of uh, recognition in my passengers. Like they understood what I was talking about before I bring out these sculptures. So um that, that was pretty rewarding. So I've somewhat been focusing on the sculpture since I introduced it to the public. 
when what year did you introduce that to the public um you know what not even a year ago i Are debuted you yeah oh, i yes. debuted them in uh in june of 2019 oh wow i feel like they've been around forever because i <laughs> start and maybe that's just because i I've been admiring them from Instagram since you st- since the first time that I saw it. I w- thought it was an incredible tool, especially as a fellow naturalist. It makes so much sense. There's a hole mm-hmm. in, you know, like the education part and this fills that hole. And so I thought it was this brilliant um, invention that you created and a wonderful piece of art. And then when I started working at Newport Landing Whale Watching, and I got to see one in real life. And we actually Aww. have two of your sculptures. And I use them every day. And so I think it's it's so cool to get to talk to you, the person behind it. Because, yeah, it's really cool to see a picture up. But when you're actually using it and how effective it is at, as a teaching tool, it's incredible. Well, thanks. I think I'll keep making them then. I think you should because <laughs> you are so talented. They really Thanks. are. They really are <clears throat> special. Yeah, I think you guys have the. Um, do you have Do you have one of the gray whales? Do you have one we of those do. guys? So yes. So I was telling my boss Jessica today that you were going to be on the podcast, hopefully, and she's also a big fan of you because she, you know, ordered it from yeah. you, and she, right, yeah. I think, commissioned the first gray whale that you made. Jessica uh, Lynn? Jessica Rome. Oh yes, that is the first one. Yes. Mark, Mark one. That's yes, awesome. That's so, that cool. Is so cool. Yeah. What are the odds? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the, the odds are maybe one in 20 because that's how many I've made. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 20 gray wheels or 20 heads? Oh, no, just 20 heads all together. Wow. That's so, so cool. Yeah. Who, so, um, what other types of organizations have ordered them? So, all together, I've I've donated and sold my um, my articulations to thirty plus whale watches. Wow! Um, yeah. And my first um, collaborators are with Whale and Dolphin Conservation, who oh, you can wow. find them all over the yes. place. Yeah, we've yeah. actually mentioned them in another podcast. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. They're, yeah, they're pretty pretty cool. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And. In Provincetown, Massachusetts, on the edge of the peninsula, there is the Center for Coastal Studies. They have been oh, carrying out, yeah, they've been carrying out one of the um, longest running studies on a wildlife population, being the humpback whale. Um, they've been keeping tabs on them since 1976. And they partner with the Dolphin Fleet Whale Watch, which is one of the first whale watches in the country. And Oh, wow. I'm actually finishing a grant with them right now where I'm shipping them a few heads and a few great white shark dorsal fins. Oh my gosh, that's so oh, cool. I can't wait to see that. That'll be really neat. Yeah, I, I'm trying to finish it all in, in about three days. So we'll, oh, wow. yeah, we'll, we'll oh. see what happens. How yeah. long does it typically um, take you to, to finish one? Yeah, start to finish. Oh, so right now... Uh, I wish this was some kind of like four dimensional podcast. So our listeners could get a look. Um, I know. But, well, yeah. I, I, we'll be definitely, we could definitely you. share the photo. Yes. And actually I had my, um, one of my crew members today on the boat that I was on, take a photo of me with the humpback head and the gray whale head. So I was going to post it after the podcast. Oh, oh please yes. do. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk. I need those images. Yeah. I will send them to you. <laughs> Most excellent. Um, so I, I find that if I, if I work on three at a time, um, I can usually wrap them up. Like, so they have just been sitting in one place. My, my colleague was worried about me getting carpal tunnel. Um, so I can usually work on them for like five hours at a time before, before the madness sets in. Um, so I, I, I can like get them from a tree to the hands of a naturalist in like maybe 20 hours, but that's about oh, the time for wow. each head. Oh okay. man, that's pretty, that's, that's a long, so do you actually like cut the wood too? Um, yes. Yeah. I, oh, wow. I do all the, uh, all the gritty work. Wow. And I've yeah. seen your picture. You have like, a handful of the little barnacles that you stick on 
Oh no, the barnacles. Those are the um the bane of my existence. Um <laughs> you, know, you know, a humpback whale, like they'll carry like what, like a thousand to two thousand pounds and yeah. um oh, of them yeah. at a time. And that's what it feels like if I was to make that burden like physical. It's like I'm carrying this like two thousand pound weight. Oh, um be, because they they take they take a while. Um but the barnacles are really um, what break the illusion of the heads because yeah. the stove boats, yeah, the, the stove boats and um, the tubercles, they're like painted to look three dimensional, but then I, I break the third wall with the barnacles. Yeah, and add some texture. I love it. Yeah. Oh, so now I, need, now I need to see this. Erica, you need to show me this picture so I can see it because I will. I it's... had no idea that they were made out of like wood. I had no idea. Mm. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to push towards more sustainable materials. So um, whenever I can find recyclable wood, like oh. from an old barn or like oh. a construction project, I'll I'll make use of that too. That's really cool. It would yeah. be cool if you could use like boat or uh, wood from an old boat. <laughs> oh, that would be interesting. It would be very unique. Yeah, yeah there's going to be a couple shipwrecks happening in my neighborhood. I have nothing to do with them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. You know nothing about them. <laughs> nope, not me at all. Um, completely unrelated, unrelated entirely to me. There was a whale watch boat um, with one of the companies here that was actually stolen on New Year's Eve, and it was, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was kidnapped. It was boat napped, I think, in Bellevue Harbor, and um, the wo- the woman didn't make it too far because she kept crashing the whale watch boat into like other boats. No way. Oh, no. Yeah, no but it was way. it was so ironically it was over there I think for for repairs or maintenance. <laughs> was it just a random or was she like working on the boat? No, it was it was New Year's Eve, so oh. I think she had partaken in, in <laughs> the festivities. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of funny, but Jeez. not funny. Yeah, it's a little funny. <laughs> it's like, oh, the any boat, it's a whale watch boat. Yeah, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Huh. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool for us. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the current story on the whale heads. I, yeah. I am um, participating in a grant with Whale and Dolphin Conservation to make some different sculptures, but... Those are confidential for the meantime. All right. Well, okay. I'm looking forward to hearing about them in the future. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to just finishing them. Oh, so much work. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So is this what you do now for a full-time job? It is. I came wow. to the San Juan Island in Washington. Um, San Juan Island is the main island out of like, I don't know, 172 islands, something like that. Yeah, I've been to Friday Harbor. Yeah, I yeah, I'm aware. I will have to ask you more about that. Um Yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm out here on an artist residency to finish my grant projects, but I've been I've been eyeing the whale watch companies here because they they run a, a tight ship. Um if we get into policy later, um the whale watching guidelines around here Very arguably Arguably, yeah, they're some of the strictest and most sound guidelines in the whole of the country mm. of North America, I would argue. Yeah. And um, there's always room for improvement in that regard. But mm. um, yeah, just the way they run their operations here. Um, I've been talking to them. So yeah, we'll see what the season brings. Yeah. yeah, how cool. I actually, so I didn't mention this on the first podcast where we talked about different yeah. jobs and stuff. I might have actually. I talked about um, the Whale Watch Company on San Juan Island. I had actually applied, interviewed, and been accepted to come work for them for a season. But there was just a lot of other things going on at the time. And finding housing on San Juan Island was nearly impossible at the time. So (laughs) that's why I decided not to. But I'm just trying. It's My life would be, I can only imagine how different it might be if I had gone and lived on San Juan Island for a year or so. Yeah. 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 I you mean, know, do you, I keep, are you I keep hearing everybody that's going to the San Juan Islands and now I'm just going to have to go because everybody's gone but me. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> want to spend more time there because the trip that I went with um, my friend Kara that was on the second podcast. Oh, yeah. Episode, 
we only took a day trip. So we didn't get to see like a whole lot. We were kind of tight on time. She was coming to visit me. I think it might've been the last day she was there and we just really wanted to go. So we did from Port Angeles to San Juan Island, I think Mm -hmm. in a day. (laughs) It was a lot of driving (laughs) and ferry. Yeah. That's a lot of travel. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we'll have to go again and really get the full scope. Yeah. Did you get to, um, did you get to whale watch while you were here? Just land-based. Oh, you know what? That um, that is what's quite unique about this habitat. Mm-hmm. There are a handful of places I know of in like the United States where you can have a successful like whale watch from land. Yeah. But here on San Juan Island on the west side, um, a lime kiln lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for for any listeners who don't know, the southern um resonant orca population it, it's separate from the transient orcas um mm-hmm. i've been here for eight weeks and i haven't seen an orca yet because really? the season oh. is yeah the season is just starting oh um, man i mean i remember those days of being in washington and yeah people people go there thinking that you're gonna see an orca every day but there's weeks where you don't and that's it it's not a good sign necessarily that there's not always orca there like there used to be yeah it shifted yeah yeah but um there have been sightings of the southern resonant killer whales and with the shift there have been like more transient sightings there's 400 to 450 of them there's only 72 of the southern residents but they've been seeing more southern residents in february than like the summer months of last year combined like oh i haven't cool. seen them because i've been stuck on land but there have been companies that have gone out and they have had actual sightings of them oh huh well yeah. now good. what are the what are the um are they very are they very active there or what what would you say when they're coming like what do you guys see over there for people so, that are curious yeah, uh, I will not speak as a representative of the whale watches here because I've yet to get my feet wet. But mm-hmm. from the literature I have um, poured through, the southern resident killer whales, their their population has dwindled because the Chinook salmon yes. have not been in abundance because mm-hmm. of the damming of the Snake River and other migratory routes. So for like the first season ever, like they've started traveling elsewhere i mean they're called a residence because they reside right. in place Basically but now the they've left H-T, yeah yeah that's so yeah. sad seeing all the different posts and oh, the awareness about it is just it's sad to see it yeah and um yeah it, yeah it's pretty rough and mm-hmm. you do see you, you see those human impacts everywhere because mm-hmm. we believe um, it is human impacts, the damming of the rivers, yeah. preventing the salmon from spawning. Mm-hmm. It's even presenting the sediments from the rivers from making their way into the deltas. And that sediment is necessary for shellfish that filter the water. Mm. And if oh, you wow. don't have, sh- if you don't have the shellfish cleaning the water, then you don't have the, um, the forests and beds of bull kelp which are habitats for juvenile fish, those kelp are nurseries. And if you don't have all those nurseries, then you have nothing for the salmon to eat. So Mm -hmm. you see that it's just a cycle. Yeah, it's just all connected. Yeah, it is. And um, I mean, we we have our problems like on the East Coast too, um, where 70% of our humpback whales have been photographed with entanglement injuries and yeah. scarring. Yeah. And wow. with regulations, it's always tricky, um, especially in the Gulf of Maine, because there are these dynamic management areas set up whenever North Atlantic right whales make an appearance. Yeah. Yeah, and when that happens, the fishermen have to remove their gear within, like, let's say, 24 hours. And the right whales have already moved from those management areas to a new spot. So they're taking out gear when maybe the whales aren't there anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But 
we're seeing that a lot of the gear, it's not the lobster gear, but it's actually snow crab gear from up in Canada. Oh, okay. So the yeah. North Atlantic, right? Whereas they feed in Stowagon Bank and in Maine, but then they travel up um, to Canada and they're getting entangled up there. And when we find them entangled in the Gulf of Maine, sometimes it doesn't happen there. It happens hundreds of miles to the north. Right, and they just carry it on with them. Yeah, so it's really, um, it needs to be more of a dialogue between um, legislature in Canada and the United States because Mm -hmm. we can change our regulations all day long, but if the whales are getting entangled elsewhere, then, Mm -hmm. you know, there's only so much the United States can do. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah, and of course that affects the fishing community, which is an economic mainstay in our local community and we export about 80% of our catch to Europe and other, other places. So yeah, it, it comes down to economics and politics in the end. And um, yeah, it, it's no easy fix. The most important nope. thing is for people to just yeah. be aware of the problems and to make changes in their own lives, whether it yeah. be <clears throat> adapting their diet of seafood to maybe voting for politicians whose environmental outlooks align with their own beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask, I was just about to ask what are some things that just a bit like a, you know, just a normal person can do, but you just said like being aware, first of all, sharing that information. So spreading the word and obviously voting for somebody who believes in the same things that you do. So, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I won't let the this episode get too dark for too long. But as um, as naturalists and lovers of the ocean, it is the, our responsibility to speak on behalf of those that don't carry our language. Um, yeah. So these are these are issues that can be difficult to bring up during a whale watch because people go out there to have a good time. Mm-hmm, but yeah. we don't want to be all doom and gloom. We want to show people they have the power to make change. Yeah. And you, you've kind of inspired me because you, you wanted to find a way to bridge between the people who don't speak our language or who, um, you know, sense the world differently than we do. You wanted to give them a way to educate just like you educate everybody else. So we need to find a solution of how to bring these topics up to people who are there to have a good time. And so we need to figure out ways strategically where we can you know say these things without making it a dark topic yeah yeah and you can you can have a good time while behaving with nature in mind i mean there are things you can do in your community and um something i see lacking in in our generation is that people aren't really active i mean for the most part the majority is not active in local politics like yeah you know, how many town hall meetings have I been to in the last year? Zero. I should be going to all of them because mm-hmm. decisions made by our local communities affect our immediate um, habitats. Yeah. yeah. So we got to be present for that. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, that's kind of a segue into like policy and behavior over here on the San Juan Islands is that the general population of residents, resident humans, not resident orcas, the, um, the people who live, yeah, the people who live here are very, very active <clears throat> in voicing their beliefs and their opinions and their research on the impact of, let's say, whale watching with orcas. Like, I haven't talked to anyone here who doesn't have a point of view on salmon fisheries and damming and whale watching. And you know, being a whale watch naturalist, like I look to the pros of whale watching. Mm-hmm. I've met people mm-hmm. here who have pointed out some valid cons, whether it be like vessel traffic or noise Felt pollution. Noise. Yeah. 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 But I'd rather people have conflicting opinions than have no passion about any opinion, at least not enough of a passion to voice it so i'm I'm always happy to talk to people here about oh, what yeah. they think yeah. And, yeah 
And also, I'd rather have people have their opinions about these animals while seeing them in their natural habitat rather than being in, captivity. in a captive environment and then trying to have an opinion about it. At least you're seeing these animals in the environment and in their own environment. And even though these rules are restricted, you can we can help educate others and, you know, tell them that. But then also explain to them that, well, you know, this is their natural habitat. This is how they are. And, I mean, I would definitely prefer to see them that way than in a tank. So. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. There, there's, um, <clears throat> I'm sure you two are familiar with Roger Payne. He is oh like my gosh, the, I love that man. he's the legend. Um, he and his wife who discovered the similarities between like human song and whale song yes um, how eerily similar they are yeah yeah he he and his um i don't know if they're together but he and his um his ex-wife kathleen they're actually going to be at cornell university in new york city um because oh. this marks the 50th anniversary of their first recordings of humpback oh whale song gosh, that's amazing. oh wow i can't believe yeah. it's only been 50 years i mean only know? 50 <laughs> Well, in the scheme of things, like, we hardly know anything about these whales. <laughs> yeah. And, it um, amazes me how little we still know. Just yeah. It, the, the more you see, the less you know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I bring him up. I, I brought Roger up, though, because um, I just finished Among Whales. Oh, my gosh. His, I was just going to bring that up. That book. Yeah, his, his masterpiece from, um, yeah, it written in 1995, I think. It's still um, completely relevant and like, I don't know, it's, I don't know if hardly anything he said has been kind of disproven at this point. Yeah. um, You know what? A lot of his research is sound and a lot of his philosophies are more important than ever. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But I mentioned them because he, he talks about the benefits of whale watching where, Mm -hmm. You know, people connect more when they're in the elements and that's where you confront your oneness with nature. And mm-hmm. he talks about um, making eye contact with a whale as mm-hmm. being like the closest outside of yourself unto another being that you can get. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I won't even like speak anecdotally from my own experience. So just let Mr. Payne speak yeah. for us all. Yes. Uh, yeah. You're right. So yeah, that's, we're going to roll, we'll put a link or something up um, yeah. for that book Among Whales by Roger Payne. He, at the beginning of every chapter, I think he has a quote of some kind. And I just remember as I was reading it, I was like, I need to be writing these quotes down because every one of them is just incredible. Like he's, oh, yeah. the way he writes just reminded me of like this kind grandpa who just like writing like you're his grandchild and he's telling you about his experiences with the right whales in Patagonia and just yeah it it was just it was an amazing amazing book yeah I'm actually um going through notes of quotes that I took of his at the very moment um oh cool yeah uh, I won't read them out because I don't want to spoil the book um but do, you have any, do you have like any on hand right now that you could read just like one um oh wow this is like i found all the easter eggs in the hunt and i'm like choosing which one to open first <laughs> i know there's <clears throat> not a bad egg in this bunch all right so here's a here's a good one for um our listeners so roger Payne is talking about the amniotic fluid in the womb of all mammals so okay this is what you reside in as a fetus in the womb until you are birthed and he speaks of the similarity in seawater to salt water in terms of like just how much salt content there is and how the amniotic fluid sea mimics the sea that nourished our ancestors Mm. he um so I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go nuts here. This would be a minute. Um, So I'm quoting Mr. Payne. Um, It is this ancestral sea that is lost when a pregnant woman's water bursts shortly before the birth of her child. At birth, we humans reenact life's transition from water to land, 
as we are born from the ancient seas of our mother's amnion to the dry land of our terrestrial existence. And it continues, human anguish has its genesis in the sense of loss that comes from leaving the womb. And um, we end on, does the anger that terrestrials show to each other and to the rest of life have its origins in the loss of our marine oneness, a regret for the mistake made by our ancestors who chose to be born mm. out of the sea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so wow. he, he knows. He knows what's up. Yeah. <laughs> He's woke. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> he, he was like, he was, he was hashtagging decades before we came oh along. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's oh, no, he is he's amazing yeah <laughs> isn't he like 90 now or something yeah he's like 85 or some something oh. obscene like that <laughs> obscene raj good old raj <laughs> yeah oh he's a legend yeah and uh, i um i was recommended the book by my colleague um if i can do a shout out to laura mm, yeah yeah uh laura sapia she works with san juan safaris other friday harbor and she killed me for saying it but she might be one of the best naturalists in the business like i really hope that she comes on your podcast at some time i would love yes let's do it we'll have to message her yeah yeah we'll get her information yeah peer pressure um yeah right (laughs) we'll have to tag her in our post we talked about you yeah. yeah yeah she's um She's very scientific, but she also um, has a way of speaking. Like, you would swear she was related to Roger Payne, the way that she she talks about her um, her experiences. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I'm I'm geeking out over um, all this literature she's recommended. But also at the Friday Harbor Library, they have, like, an entire row that is just whale books like oh my yeah. gosh i, I wish i that. had that here <laughs> yeah it, yes. it, it's like nature science then whales oh, that's, <laughs> that's, so that's cool. awesome <laughs> I, I love i absolutely there's nothing that i love more than going to communities that are centered around whales mm-hmm. so friday harbor is like that the town of kaitora is like that mm. in new zealand um the town that i was in in mexico is like yep, that. Like, i, was I just love like, just everything is centered around whales mm-hmm. it's an amazing feeling to feel like you're surrounded by like-minded people yeah yeah it can it can be a rare thing um to find yeah. folks with similar passion on the same level that is yep. of your own. Yeah. Hmm. yeah yeah um yeah so yeah roger Payne is pretty cool um at the end of his book i'm not going to spoil anything but he was friends with carl sagan and he, mm. he talks about um, the Voyager 2 probe, which is mm. a piece of, of technology of our own making that's been sent to space further out than anything we've ever conceived. Oh. Yeah. But it's probably yeah. the best ending to any book on marine biology that I've seen. Yeah. So I'm not going to spoil any more for people, but it's, it's worth reading the book just for the, like the last two pages. Right. Hmm. Well, now yeah. I'm going to have to read it. So <laughs> yeah, I actually, Kirsty, I have two copies of it. So <gasps> you can have Ooh. one. Yes. <laughs> I really, I don't know how I ended up with two, but I do. <laughs> All right. Awesome. It's that good. Done. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Erica, if you if you bring that book out to Grey Whales and you get them to like breathe all over it, then you could probably sell it high on eBay, saying that it was anointed. Oh my! Hey, well, how about this? I was snotted on by a Grey Whale, so if maybe if I breathe on it, then is does is that kind of the same? Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. Like, I call that a second edition. It's second hand. <laughs> Two degrees of separation. Oh right. my gosh! Oh, yeah. That's so funny. Oh, man. Okay, so we said we were going to say when we get to an hour mark. So we're just about on an hour mark. Yeah, Yeah. we are. (laughs) So I could honestly, Rich, I could sit here and chat with you all day. 
Uh, yeah. This is awesome. We really should do this again because yes. I like just nerding out about yeah. animal I, life, whales and stuff. Yeah, I feel like we just kind of barely uncovered the... Yeah, we barely scratched the surface here. Yeah, but yeah exactly. Before we go... We need a few more lobster facts. Oh, oh yes. that's yep. right. <laughs> All right, uh, let's um get in the get in the crustacean zone here. Let me shed my <laughs> crustacean let, nation. Yeah, let me don my carapace. <laughs> so, um, I had the pleasure of working with Anita Kim at the Scott Prescott Laboratory at the aquarium, and in her office, um she had access to this lobster um, moat, not, not like the actual like skeleton of a lobster or his mm-hmm. body, but mm-hmm. just, just the moat. When they need to get bigger, they squeeze out of their order selves like you would find with the yeah. snake. And yeah. in the moat, there was a claw that was coming out of the eye sockets. So there was a what? There, there was like a full lobster claw, like articulated <gasps> and everything. Wow. So it was just it had a deformity? Yeah. So I I asked her if this was like a very rare deformity. And what I learned is that when a lobster loses its eye, while it can replace its legs and its arms over time, it cannot replace its eye. So after each moat. The, uh, the body will attempt to regrow that eye, but instead it may grow another appendage. Wow. Oh that is so cool. Yeah. Wow. So you, you might see lobsters out there that have claws for eyes. <gasps> Could you imagine if humans did that? Oh, oh. oh no. No thanks. <laughs> I'll, I'll pass. Yeah. Ha- hashtag Fukushima. Too dark. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, oh, that's I, so funny. I had no idea that was even a possibility. Yeah, they're that's the worst. Either. That's so cool. Yeah. And um, their, their chromosomes are uncapped. And this is as far into science as I go. I'm like, I'm allergic to microscopes. So I have to look at big things because small <laughs> stuff's too hard. Um, but with the, the lobsters, their, their chromosomes and their genes, they enable them to live indefinitely. So unless they are killed by predators or by shell disease or natural causes, theoretically a lobster can live for hundreds of years. And wow. really, I was actually going to ask you how, what would their uh, life expectancy be? We don't know. I... Wow, wow. That's so fascinating. I wonder there's probably like 500 year old lobsters that live down in the ocean. Yeah, instead of like beards, they just have like seaweed around their chins. <laughs> now, is there a you... way to be able to, to tell how old an, a lobster is? I was just going to ask that. Oh boy. Um. So that involves science down to maybe a molecular level. Um, okay. That's a question actually that should be saved for friends up in Gloucester, Massachusetts. I don't know if okay. it's maintained by the Ocean Society, but there is a very small aquarium in Gloucester, and they have a lobster I visited in 2012. And at the oh. time, this lobster weighed 26 pounds, <gasps> and wow. its claw was easy enough to crush my head like a coconut. And for anyone who knows me, my, my head's a little too big. So that is a big lobster. <laughs> And oh my they, gosh. they predict that lobster was at least 100 years old. Wow. That's cool. I had no idea. I honestly, I just didn't think that, you know, something like that would be able to live so long. I just thought, oh, you know, two to five years or something like that. I, I had no idea. Yeah. They, um, nature so crazy. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Well, this is so cool, Rich, and I'm glad that now I feel like I have a new whale friend. And yes, <laughs> yeah, and I would love to have you back on at some point so we can talk more about lobsters. And yeah, stuff. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And yeah, this yeah. is definitely a lot of fun. I I feel like we could talk about so much more, especially with your experience at um, the aquarium you worked at. I feel like we could de- yes. definitely talk about 
more of that or the residents in your area you said the season's about to start so that would be kind of cool to maybe like once the season starts maybe you can talk to us more about the residents over there that would be yeah. kind of cool yeah tubular um, i'd be down yeah, and yeah. I'm gonna be. I'm excited to keep watching your Instagram for yes, new yes, art yes. that you're creating. So I will once we get off the pod, I will send you my photo and I'll post it too, and I'll tag you. So yeah, groovy. Yes. Spread the word. And and I understand you guys have an Instagram for ocean lovers as well. We, we do. do. Yes, ocean lovers podcast. Yes, find us on Instagram oh. because we will definitely be posting pictures of especially what are you gonna post one tomorrow erica of the the whale heads yeah okay, cool. i'll either i might just post it right now oh Perfect. no pressure <laughs> even better and, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah uh, if, if, you guys, if anyone we will also tag rich in the oh. picture as well so if you guys want to go follow him be sure to yes, do that he has amazing stuff on there yeah this was a lot of fun thank you so much rich for coming on the podcast Yes. Oh, thanks. You're too, you're too kind. You guys are too kind. <laughs> it was lo- oh, we really enjoyed it. It, it was really awesome. was. I never thought I was gonna come on here and just start learning stuff about lobsters today, but we did, and it was awesome. And I can't wait to have you on again and learn some more stuff. Yeah, sounds good. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about yes. great white sharks next time. Let's do that. Oh, yes, we actually yes. been wanting. We, you know, Erica and I just talked about dedicating an episode just all about sharks. Ooh, yes. all right. Um, don't forget about me. <laughs> we yeah, won't. We'll, we'll, have, <laughs> we'll you, have you on. Yeah, we'll have you on that episode for sure. All right. Can I can I do a plug for somebody real quick? Can I do that? Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so if anyone here is interested in learning about sharks and shark conservation, fins attached. They are um, located out of Colorado, but you can find their fleet oh. in Mexico and Cocos Island. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, that's actually how I got into marine biology. I volunteered with them with acoustic tagging and photo identification. Oh my gosh! You just—you just have to hear more. Yeah, you just started a whole new topic. (laughs) (laughs) It never ends. Oh, that was. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we'll definitely (laughs) tag them in it and give them a shout out, and we'll have to talk about that next time too. All right, very cool. I'll let you guys get some sleep. All right. All right, right. everybody, thank Thank you you guys so much much for watching. Definitely stay tuned for the next episode. Let us know what you guys thought about this one, if you guys have any questions. And um, check out everybody that we tag in our latest post. Thank you guys for watching, listening. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Cheers. (laughs) Bye.